Here's another inspiring message from Northside Community Church, Sydney. I don't know if you've had that ex- the embarrassing experience of being, or maybe you've probably seen it, you might have had it, but being at a barbecue and you're out, it's summer, you're out on the deck, there's sausages and there's salads and it's all happening and going around. And you think you'll be helpful and you'll carry a tra- leftover salad or sausages or whatever back inside and then bam, you walk into the closed glass door. <laughs> Has that happened to anybody? Yes, at least one. I think it's happened to me too. And then even, I don't know if I should say this is worse, but you know when it happens to a bird? <laughs> that is awful. I feel like I don't know if I can say it's one worse than the other, but I hate it when it happens to birds. They don't realise it's there because the owner has done a really good job of cleaning the door to prepare for the guests. And then it's so invisible to everybody because of all this generous and lovely hospitality that nobody knows the glass door is there and damage ensues. And, uh, and it can be painful for everybody involved. Sausages go flying, salad goes flying. Anyway, I'm, not, I'm going to keep going about the bird, but I'm not. I'm going to stop there. I'm going to stop there. What these doors do for us is they are actually or like a glass, you know, those holiday houses that have those big stretches of glass that look out onto the ocean and it's just windows galore. Uh, They're beautiful and they're invisible really, but what they do is they shield us uh, from whatever's outside. They shield us from birds flying in and they shield us from wind and they shield us from animals and from insects and all kinds of things that that should be staying outside and not coming inside. They act as this uh, really effective shield when they're operating uh, properly. And that's what we're going to find out today as we look about our God, uh, as we look at this Psalm of David today, that uh, a lot of the time he might seem invisible and we can, if if we don't pay attention, forget that he's there. But actually, our God is a shield around us, an effective shield around us. And we're going to find out how that can help us in our fears this morning um, as we look at this prayer of David. And this book of the Psalms that God gives us, there's 150 of them divided into five books within the book of the Psalms. And each of them is a different genre of poetry. They're different styles of poems. And this psalm here is is a psalm of protection that has been written by David himself. Not all the Psalms are written by David. They're written by different people. Um, But all of them are designed to be used. They're not designed simply to be read. They're designed to be used. They've been handed down and preserved and collected into this book of 150 Psalms for us to use as our prayers, for God's people to relate to God, for us to, to take and borrow David's words and use them as our own. And so when David used them in a time of fear, this has been preserved so that we too can use it in a time of fear, but make, make his words our own. And for this particular psalm, Psalm 3, we can use it when we are afraid to remind ourselves that our God surrounds us and protects us like a shield. And so it was written by King David, uh, as Leonard said for us, in the midst of a time of great fear. If you want to read more about the story and the context behind this psalm, you can find out in 2 Samuel uh, chapters 15 to 19, if you want to read that and find a bit more about what was going on for him. But basically what happened is that he was looking after the affairs of the government uh, of the nation of Israel. And while he was doing that, for a period of about four years, uh, his son Absalom was undermining his leadership behind his back. 
And he was, she was winning over the hearts of the people and he was working towards this revolt, this uprising to usurp his father's power. And this was going on for four years behind David's back. And eventually one day it leads to this uprising and this revolt against King David. And so he has no option really but to flee Jerusalem with whatever leaders had remained faithful to him. And so he, he flees and he runs down the, deep, the, the steep descent out of Jerusalem and he crosses the Kedron Valley, makes his way up over the Mount of Olives and it says that he goes barefoot and weeping and his head covered in shame. And as he goes, there's someone who yells after him and it's someone who's still loyal to the previous king who was Saul. And he yells after him, reminding him of all the things that he has done publicly, publicly in front of all of his men, reminding him of all the things that he's done wrong and all the reasons uh, that he's all alone and that he, basically that even God had deserted him, that he was beyond the help of anybody, even God. And so he goes on, David, uh, and in one of those first mornings out in this temporary refuge of the desert, he pens this psalm of protection. And it's been preserved for us to use in times of fear or crisis or battle, uh, to be honest to God with our fears and to find security in him just like David did. Now, you might not be facing an imminent military battle when you wake up most mornings, uh, an army that's led by your son, this uprising to overthrow you. Uh, But you may be facing, or you probably are or will be at some point in the future, facing a battle of some kind, facing fears of some kind, facing a crisis or a danger of some kind. The climate in the department of the company you work for may be uh, open warfare, where everybody is trying to defeat everybody else. People might be trying to undermine your leadership and showing how you have no allies and isolating you from everybody else. Conditions might be cutthroat with weapons of rumours and lying and gossip, misrepresentation, even violence and bribes and enemies. The more prominent you are, the more enemies you might have and the more vulnerable you might be. You know, it, might be, it might be on the family side of things, it might be on the personal side of things. Your children might hate you or might have betrayed what it is that you stand for. Or it might be your spouse who's betrayed you. Somebody who you thought was your closest ally but turns out to be somebody who's among the force that's against you. It might be your closest, closest friend. Someone that you've been through thick and thin with only to find them side with someone else or turn against you or turn other people against you. We all fight battles at different points in our lives. And what can happen for us in those moments is that the voices of the battle, whether they're people or they're spiritual or they are circumstantial, they become so loud that they can drown out any belief that God God's of belief in God's protective presence with us. We can start to believe that we are actually all alone, that we are actually completely vulnerable and unshielded, unprotected. And so naturally we fear. Charles Spurgeon put it this way, it is the most bitter of all afflictions to be led to fear that there is no help for us in God. That's exactly what David was facing. And so God gives us this psalm to use in our own prayer life. And through it, we can borrow David's words, the words of David who found security and assurance, and as we will see, even sleep in the midst of conflict and in the midst of his battle. So let's find out how. Firstly, uh, David can be honest with God about his fears 
because he doesn't buy the lie that God has deserted him. Have a look, verses 1 and 2. He says, Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying, God will not deliver him. Do you see how he's just straight in there, straight in there being honest with God about what is going on, honest with God about what he's afraid of? He doesn't hold back. He complains about how many enemies he's have. Three of those lines have the word many in them. There's a lot. He's aware that he is completely surrounded by enemies. And he recognizes what they are saying about him. He's recognizing the prevailing sentiment that is coming against him and about God. That he's beyond God's protection, that he's all alone, that he's deserted even by God. And he, but he's the important piece and he knows his enemies have got it wrong. He doesn't buy the lie. He knows uh, that his enemies, what's going on is that his enemies think it's safe to attack David because he, they think he's unprotected. His enemies are like the bird who doesn't think that there's a protective barrier there and bam. His enemies have misjudged the situation and they think, he, they think it's safe to protect David because he's unshielded. However, what happens is they actually find themselves face to face with God himself. Discovering that actually he is protected, actually he is shielded. And David, in his wisdom and his beautiful close relationship with God, trusts that God is protecting him and so he does not fear. As we'll find out as we keep going through this psalm. In your fear, don't let your enemy's wrong perspective become yours. Don't lose sight of who is right there with you, shielding you. And so I have to ask you, have you been honest to God like David is with your fears? Could you borrow this psalm straight in telling God how you feel? You know, you're allowed to go to God with your complaints. You're allowed to tell him how you're feeling. One of the things that we learned in Alpha this week, this past week, was to just when you're praying, start with your feelings and go from there. Say, God, I feel really afraid and use that as your launching pad. Say, God, I feel really frustrated. Use that as your launch pad for prayer. God, I feel, I feel really confused. And then go from there. Just start with how you're feeling when you're talking to God and go from there. Bring your fear to him. Or has someone's voice got in your ear telling you that you're all alone, that you're unprotected, that no one's got your back, not even God? I need to tell you this morning that God has not left your side. He is with you and he is right there for you to bring your fears to. No matter where you, whether you think you're up to it or not, whether you think you deserve to be able to talk to him or not, just bring your fears to him. He wants to hear from you. And so because David is so confident in God's protective presence with him because he has this close relationship with God, we see that David's fear changes when he shifts his focus from his enemies to God. I don't know if you picked this up as we went through in the reading, but have a look again, verses three to five. But you, Lord, are a shield around me, my glory, the one who lifts my head high. I call out to the Lord and he answers me from his holy mountain. I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. There's this principle that we see time and time and time again in scripture uh, where the more you focus on your enemies, the more you focus on your fears, the more you focus on your challenges, the more you focus on your battles, the more they grow in your mind's eye to gigantic proportions. But the more you focus on your God and who he is, who he is for you, the more they shrink in your mind's eye 
to more manageable proportions. You see this in in the Old Testament, the story of God's people way before David when they were on the edge of walking into the promised land. God had taken them out of Egypt and they had wandered in the wilderness and they were on the verge of stepping into the promised land. This land that God had provided for his people was providing for his people. And God said to Moses, the leader of the people, send in some people to go and check out the land and see what it's like. I'm giving you, I'm going to give you this land. So these people go in to check it out. And they come back and all but two of them talk about how enormous the people who who were living there were. Oh, we couldn't possibly defeat them. God couldn't possibly do this for us because look how big our enemies are. Here's a couple of direct quotes from them. We can't attack those people. They are stronger than we. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes and we looked the same to ourselves. Oh, and we looked the same to them. Isn't that what's happening? When you focus on your enemies, you seem small. But when you focus on God, your enemies seem small. God was giving them the land, but because they were focusing on their enemies, they seemed small in their own eyes and they lost sight of what God was doing and was going to lead them into. Their fear stopped them moving forward. And doesn't fear do that to all of us? If you fear spiders, you don't go near spiders. If you fear heights, you don't go up high. If you fear intimacy, you don't go near close relationships. Fear puts a ceiling on us. It stops us from moving forward, sometimes into the things that God wants to give us. But when we focus on our God and our fears shrink to manageable proportions, we can move forward into the things that God is giving to us. Setting your eyes on God gives you the confidence to move forward in the midst of fear, to feel the fear and do it anyway. Now for David, making this shift from focusing on his enemies to focusing on his God, which we see in the psalm, we see that shift, has a really practical and valuable outcome for him. He was able to fall asleep. (laughs) That's great news. He was able to fall asleep. Because he had discovered that in God there is security and assurance in the midst of attack. He knew he had this big, great glass dome all around him of God's protective presence. And his enemies might misjudge it and come flying into it, but he was protected because he trusted in who his God was. He trusted that his God was a shield all around him. In fact, he borrows those words from God's ancient promises to Abraham in Genesis 15, where God said, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. And David claims it as his own. He says, Okay, me too. God, if you are Abram's shield, you're my shield. God, you are my shield. And let me tell you today, if it was true for Abram and it was true for David, those of us who are in Christ, it's true for us too. God is your shield. That's just the fact of the matter. He is your shield. He is your protective presence. And so David is able to sleep because he knows he's protected. He knows God will look after it. And when he wakes in the morning, he is reminded by the simple fact that he has been asleep, that God is his sustainer. And from there, he is propelled forward in faith to tackle a day that was sure to contain escalating conflict because he knew that his God would sustain him. He trusted in his protective presence. And so church, who are you going to set your gaze on? On your enemies, on your challenges, on the conflicts, or on your God? Whose characteristics are you going to dwell on to remind yourself about 
your opponent's characteristics and how big they were, like the Israelites did when they went into the promised land to check it out, or on how big and great our God is and his promises are to you. As the psalm moves on, we see what else David does. He places his hope of victory in God, not in human effort. That was towards the end of the psalm from verse 6. I will not fear. This is a remarkable statement. I will not fear, though tens of thousands assail me on every side. That is remarkable confidence in God. That blows my mind, honestly. I will not fear. Arise, Lord, deliver me, my God. Strike all my enemies on the jaw. Break the teeth of the wicked. From the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessing be on your people. We have to ask that question. How is David suddenly able to say that he won't fear, though tens of thousands assail him on every side? That is a huge number of people. And it's true, he was in a shrinking minority against a growing majority. How is he able to say he wouldn't fear? He has discovered through being honest with God about his fears and through consciously shifting his gaze from who God from who from his his gaze from his enemies to who God is. He has discovered that any one person plus God is a majority. And so it doesn't matter how many people come against him or how vicious the attacks are, God's strength is always greater. Always greater. No matter how much the strength, the, 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 no matter how big and how numerous and how vicious the attacks are, God's strength is always greater. Now, I'm no mathematician, as we can probably all attest. I am absolutely no mathematician. However, I do recall that no matter how many zeros you multiply, it's still zero. So zero times zero is zero. Yes, right. And then zero times one is still going to be zero. Zero times two. It's still going to be zero. Zero times, I don't care how many attacks and viciousness comes against you, how many people, how many tens of thousands of thousands. Times by zero, which is what human strength is compared with God's strength, it is still going to be zero compared with the strength of God. And so David is able to say confidently because he knows how wide the gap is between the strength of his God and human strength, that I will not fear, though tens of thousands assail me on every side. I will not fear because I know my God is greater. I know that his strength is greater than anything, anything humanly that might be able to come against me. It is zero compared with God's strength. No matter how many zeros you want to add to zero, it is still zero. My God is greater. He knows who his God is. And he knows that his God's strength is greater than any human strength. And so knowing that, he cries out, Arise, Lord, knowing who he is calling on to arise. That was the Hebrew battle cry. Whenever the Israelites would move out in the wilderness, whether into battle or simply moving, following the presence of God, they would cry out, Arise, Lord, because they knew if the victory was going to be theirs in the battle, they had to have the presence of God with them. They knew that human strength on its own was futile. They knew that human strength was, if God did not arise with them and accompany them into battle, that they would be vulnerable and defeated. That departure for war would be futile unless God arose and accompanied them. Victory comes from God's presence with us. It was true on that scale and it is true for us in the things that we face, the small battles and the big battles. It is God's strength that we need to lean on. 
Human strength is nothing when it's absolutely nothing when it is compared to the strength of God himself, who is your shield, who is your victory, who is your great reward. And you know what happens for David in answer to his prayer to God is that Absalom, his son, listens to some really bad advice. And he fails in his, 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 um, he fails in his goal to overtake his father. You can read the rest of the story uh, elsewhere, but, but he fails. God answers, his, God answers David's prayer in a way that David could never have orchestrated. And so where is your hope for protection? Where is your hope for victory in the battle that you're facing? Really? Is it God? Is it yourself? Or is it just is it nowhere, quite honestly? Have you given up hope and you find yourself in a place of despair? Where have you placed your hope? God is on your side, by your side, waiting for you to call on him. Reach out, tell him what's going on. Shift your gaze to who he is and trust him, painful as it may be, to protect you and save you from whatever it is you're facing. Do you follow? Now, I don't know about you, but I find all of that rather hard to accept. For a couple of reasons. Firstly, I want to know what that looks like in, in everyday life. There are so many situations in this room, so many battles that we are facing, so many challenges. And I want to know what does it, God, what does it look like for every single one of us in each of the battles that we are facing? What does it look like for you to protect us? What does it look like for you to have the victory? There are things, I know there are so many things in the world that cause people harm. There are so many problems that don't get resolved. And so God, what does it look like for you to protect us? What does it look like for you to have the victory? Do you make the problems go away? I don't think we see that play itself out in scripture. There's plenty of people that God, whose side God has been on who have been in really difficult and painful situations. And so God, what does this look like? This, this truth that you have given us in this scripture and this, that David has lived through and a psalm that has, that has passed the test of time to be handed down for us to sustain us in our relationship with God. There's something steady and steadfast for us to hold to in that. But how does that play itself out for us in our lives? I want to understand the, the practical working out of that in our lives. Now, partly that's, that's something for us to tease out in our community groups because there's a lot of conversation in that, right? There's so many different situations that we are facing to take on the one hand this truth that, God, you are my protector and you are victorious and you surround me with a shield and I can sleep and I can rest trusting that you're going to take care of it. And on the other hand, when that isn't my experience, how do I hold those two things together in tension? What does it look like to live in faith in working that through? That's where we need each other, church. That's where we need each other. And so please lean into each other, have those conversations with one another. The second reason that I find this difficult to accept, a deeper reason perhaps for me, is that I wonder whether part of, my, part of my soul isn't quite convinced that God would want to be my shield. 
that he would be happy to be everybody else's shield, that probably he's, he's busy enough being everybody else's shield or he maybe loves other people more and he's happier to be their shield, but does God really want to be mine? Have you ever felt that way? That when it comes down to it, you're not sure that God really is interested enough to be your shield, to be your protective presence. Well, God convinced me of it this week uh, through another psalm that David wrote. And uh, so I wanted to share that with you. It's Psalm, Psalm 17, where in verse 8, David prays this to God. Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. Now the, now the apple of your eye is your pupil. It's probably the most sensitive part of your body and certainly the part of your body that you most instinctively protect, that you most naturally protect. Something comes flying at your eye, even a tiny little speck of dirt, you blink or you block your face with your hands or something. We don't even need to think about it. It's so involuntary and so natural for us to protect our pupil, the apple of our eye. And church, God says to you this morning, you, you, individually, each one of you, you are the apple of my eye. There is something about the pupil that is so special in the human body, set apart, distinctive, specially, especially protected. And so what it also means that when God says to you, you are the apple of my eye, it means, and this is just a scandalously outrageous statement to my heart, I don't know about you, it means that there is no one more precious to God than you. We are all equal. I'm not saying that some are more and some are less, but there is no one more precious to God than you. There is no one who matters more to God than you do. Isn't that outrageous? You are the apple of his eye. He adores you. You are infinitely precious to you and you are one whom he so naturally and instinctively protects because you are so precious to him. It's, his def- it's, his re- it's a reflex to protect you. It's a reflex to shield you, to care for you because of who you are to him, not because of anything you accomplish or in any way you, pr- you impress him, but simply because of who you are to him. You are the apple of his eye. And how do I know that? How do I know that he would instinctively protect you? Because he's already given his own life to do it. Has he not? In Jesus? He couldn't not do it. He had to send his own son, his very self, to die the death that we deserve, to stand in the way of punishment so that we are protected and we can walk into eternal life with God free. It's his reflex, it's his heart. He protects you because you are the apple of his eye. And if he has done it for you in Jesus, will he not do it again? Now, what that looks like, we have to work out. But he has, I and I know many of us in this room are convinced that he has done it for us in Jesus. 
And so we can say with the Apostle Paul, with God on our side like this, how can we lose? If God didn't hesitate to put everything on the line for us, embracing our condition and exposing himself to the worst by sending his son, is there anything else he wouldn't gladly and freely do for us? And who would dare tangle with God by messing with one of God's chosen? Who would dare even point a finger? The one who died for us, who was raised to life for us, is in the presence of God at this very moment sticking up for us. Do you think anyone is going to be able to drive a wedge between us and Christ's love for us? There's no way, not trouble, not hard times, not hatred, not anger, not homelessness, not bullying threats, not backstabbing, not even the worst sins listed in Scripture. None of this phases us because Jesus loves us. I'm absolutely convinced that nothing, neither living or dead, angelic or demonic, today or tomorrow, high or low, thinkable or unthinkable, absolutely nothing can get between us and God's love because of the way that Jesus, our master, has embraced us. Do you see? God's love, God's son surrounds you like a shield. He's already done it. It's already done. You are protected by virtue of the nature of your relationship with him. And so this week, on the basis of that truth, that which we hold to as Christians, that which we stand on, which we lean on with our full weight, would you shift your gaze to who he is, tell him about your fears and trust in his presence around you for protection and for victory to save you. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for this remarkable truth, a challenging truth in many ways, God, but also a remarkable one, a scandalous one, that we are the apple of your eye, each one of us, that no one is more precious to us than you and that you instinctively and reflexively protect us. It's what you do, God. You can't help yourself. That you even went so far as to send your son to die in our place so that we might be protected, so that we might be saved, God. God, that is our reality. It's who we are. We stand protected by you, God. We live surrounded by this great glass shield. And though the enemy might misjudge the situation, God, and think we are not protected, we know we are. And we choose to believe that, God. Would you help us not let those lies get inside our head? Not to set our enemies or the conflicts or or our battles, God, define reality for us, God, but to let you define our reality. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Well, thanks for tuning in. 
If you'd like to find out more about Northside, visit northsidechurch.org.au.